But let's go ahead and, and move on to the most well-known song from Evita, and that is Don't Cry For Me, Argentina. What were your thoughts like when you first heard her sing the song, especially since you were already familiar with Patty Gopone's version? Ella sonó como un ángel caída del cielo. So that translates into, to me, she sounded like an angel that had uh, descended from heaven. She, she was, it was angelic. When I heard it for the first time, I had goosebumps. I was inspired. It was just beautiful singing. And she does sing it almost like a little girl. Mm -hmm. But I think the vulnerability that she had in that performance, I think, was was just right. Um, I think she did a, a great job. It's probably one of the, not one of, I think it is the softest performance of, of that song. But for Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, I was okay with it. I was okay with it because it was from a human perspective. It's right. that moment where a human being is at the culmination of manifesting their their, their dreams. And they're and they're in a place where they're reconciling their reality with who they used to be, and it's just such a beautiful, beautiful vocal, great performance. But I think Madonna did an amazing job. And then what happens there immediately after the spoken uh, political speech that she gives to the Descamisados thereafter was also just amazing. What does that mean, by the way? What does that translate into? Uh, shirtless. Oh, because oh, like the working like, class. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Thank you for sure. educating me. Um, but yeah, I and I think it actually makes sense in terms of the movie itself because she, in a way, seems nervous to be speaking on behalf of Juan Perón, who up to this point, you know, when she was speaking, she was very confident because she was, she was working to try to get him out of jail. And then once that happens and they get married and everything, and now um, they're, they're speaking on the, the Casa Rosada on the balcony, that she almost seems nervous to approach the crowd now. Because now that, I mean, in terms of traditional, the man is, is leading everything and, and he's speaking um, before she actually gets to come on. So she seems, she seems nervous, which makes sense with her vocal performance is a little bit more timid before she um, comes a little bit more out of her shell before she starts uh, speaking to the crowd. Yeah, and I also think it was beautiful when you see, uh, oh my God, uh, Jonathan Price, who played Juan Perón, uh, yep. when he, in the, that was what, probably one of his, his best parts of the movie, when he's kind of standing in the corner just looking at her with love and admiration, kind of like, yeah, that's my girl. And with, I, that, with that pride and that support. Yeah. That was really beautiful. And I love kind of like the, the sweeping camera shots during this, this performance as well. Um, yes. Because they had to do, well, originally they weren't allowed to film there. Um, they originally got the kind of buy-in, like, yes, you can shoot in Argentina, but you can't shoot on the, on the balcony of Casa Rosada. And it wasn't until they were like a few days away from leaving Argentina and going to go film this scene in a London studio. Um, but then they had this like last minute meeting with the president who also did not like, I mean, we haven't even talked about the fact that um, 
there was like graffiti put up everywhere when they heard that they were filming because they didn't want to like tarnish the image of Ava Perone. Um, but they were like, you know, get out of, don't come to our town, Madonna and Alan Parker. Um, they thought Madonna was, they would say like, she's a harlot, she's a slut. We don't want her tarnishing the image of Ava Perone. But it was like a couple days before they were planning to leave Argentina, they met with the president again and just explaining to him, this is what we're doing with the movie. We're not trying to tarnish her image. We're trying to tell we're, we're integrating real facts. We're not just doing a movie production of the Broadway show. Um, and then I guess they were able to convince him like, okay, yes, now you can film there. So then they did the, they filmed on the balcony and I think Madonna had said it was like a very surreal experience where she kind of embodied Ava Perone when she was giving this performance because she almost felt like these people are looking up to me as if I'm Ava Perone. So I want to be able to give a good performance for it. And I can relate to that from a, and I believe in that from a metaphysical perspective. Mm -hmm. So her standing there exactly where this woman stood, I'm sure was just an amazing experience for her as an actress. And, and we see her channeling it yeah. when she's, you know, filmed performing it. And when she first recorded the song, I think like four months prior to production of the movie, she had to perform it in front of Andrew Lloyd Webber. Her words, she was petrified to, to sing this song because it's like the most well-known song from this production in front of the person that wrote it. So it was very intimidating for her to do that but she did it and it's now associated with her too i mean we know of course it's it's i guess we could give it to patty lapone that is her song but whenever i hear don't cry for me i'm gonna associate it with madonna in this movie agreed agreed she her, she made it her own and this was released as a single and they did a bunch of remixes for it which i was floored for because I kindly got to hear my Madonna back when, because she, rec she re-recorded the vocals to, uh, to the dance version and, um, Nikki and Donna were singing on it too. So it's like, Oh, Madonna's back. I get to hear some, some like classic Madonna being done. Were, were you a chart fanatic back in the day? No, not really. I, I don't think I was ever, I was more of like a chart disappointer like i was always disappointed in seeing where she may have fallen in the charts but it didn't keep me from liking her i've I've never been really a chart person i think you know it holds a certain acclaim so to speak when you know like when someone goes to number one i would never take that away from someone but as far as like madonna went i never really paid attention to where she was in the charts because it didn't it didn't keep me from buying into the product you know what i mean like i was I was still going to buy the single. I was still going to buy the album. Nothing was going to stop me. I was until I educated myself and realized how controlled uh, it was in the in the eighties, right, and the nineties. But I do remember that when "Don't Cry for Me" Argentina was released as a single, and it it, it actually went top ten. I remember being really happy yeah. about that. Now, was that the original version or the remix? I want to say the remix because that's all I heard on the radio. Right. Was the remix version. I couldn't I imagine was, this, the regular version being played on the radio. I think it's slower than slow songs. 
Yeah, and I also remember that when it was like at the height of its popularity is right when she won the Golden Globe in January. Yeah. What do you think about the remix? Do you like it? Yeah, I do. I, I, I like the Spanglish version. Yes. So, High Flying Adored. This was a... Um, I don't... Uh, thoughts on this song? What do you think about it? I think that is... So, everyone points to Don't Cry For Me, Argentina, as the moment where she just looked spectacular. I think, for me, a High Flying Adored is when I as a fan or a viewer of the movie, just gasped at how beautiful she looked. She just walked in and that beautiful gown, the hair looking good. She just looked absolutely. She looks like a princess. And a royalty. Yes. Absolute royalty. So for me in the movie, that is where she looks absolutely gorgeous. Just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. So that's what stands out for me. I love the song. Again, Madonna's goal was to make Ava's character multidimensional. Yep. That song, I think she um, she shows some humility, but then ends it with, yeah, but I'm still that bitch. Yeah. <laughs> no, no one else can do this as I can. And then it goes into um, Rainbow High. So yeah, love the song. Love how, also like how Antonio um, sings the song. Um and I think that's where he was, um, his character was really being super cynical. It's like, okay, yeah. so you've made it. What are you going to do now? What are you going to do next? Right. Um, and then Rainbow High, and this is the one where she changes outfits a million times. Yes, yes. And she, and she sings great. I mean, this is where I think I remember in the era when you would read the reviews this is the song that the critics would point to, to, um, to associate with the, the change in her, in her voice yes. or, to, or to point to, this is, you know, where her, 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 her singing voice, uh, expanded. And it's the first song that I heard aside from, uh, you must love me. Cause it was the B side to you must love me. Um, oh, yeah. so that's my first introduction, I remember hearing it and I was like, Ooh, I, uh, especially the way she ended it, because I mean, like I said, the, the melodies get repeated throughout the soundtrack, but, um, you hear them bring back Buenos Aires, like the melody of Buenos Aires. And I remember thinking like, Oh, this, this is incredible. I can't wait to see this movie when I heard this song. And then we go to the rainbow tour and that's not, doesn't have Madonna in it at all, but, uh, they had the it's Antonio it's basically Antonio's song and the um, the other parliament dictators or whatever watching her and trying to understand what she's supposed supposed to be doing. I love the song. I love how proud her husband is. I I love to see him send her to represent him. I think that's was a very powerful part of the movie. I loved how how Madonna. Um, portrayed her descent into, you know, realizing that she was not well from a health perspective. But the funniest part of that song for me was when the, who was it? Was it the the politician in, was it in Italy where he totally shaded her? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he was like, I used to, she was like, did they just call me a slut or whore or whatever she, she sang? And then he was like, oh yeah, they did. But 
it's okay. They used to call me – what did he say? They used to call me a pirate. An admiral, the, the but I haven't been oh, on yeah. the sea for years or something like that. Yeah. I was like, wow, the shade. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, that kind of actually goes well into the actress hasn't learned the lines because that's when high society is like, you're not getting in here. She feels very uncomfortable being around these high society type people because – they want nothing to do with her. They think she's trash. They think she's low class. And it's almost like she feels like that little girl again. Um, yes. That was rejected from her father's funeral. And this isn't even the middle class. Yeah. <laughs> but, I, but I love the way the song ends, though, when she was like, okay, bet. I bet. I, I got y'all. Yeah. I'm going to, to do this my way. And then she does. And then, yeah, and then she does. And the money kept rolling in and out. Um, and that's, again, another Antonio-led song, which is actually probably my favorite Antonio song of this soundtrack. And then it kind of keeps moving on. Like, I, I feel like the the movie kind of starts to drag after this, even with the music, because then it just kind of, we're watching her demise as she's affected by the cancer. and. Yes. We're just kind of watching her, everything slowly flatline, so to speak, um, and start to go downhill for her. There's a meeting with, with Juan Peron and, and his, his board of people, and they're saying, like, why are you using her to do this? Why, you know, like, because she wants to be vice president now. And they're like, no, 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 we're, we're not having that. So, but then he gives like this speech and that's where they do. She's a diamond. And that's one of the ones that is sung live. And I actually like Jonathan Price's performance of this because he is singing it live and he's putting a lot of emotion into it. Completely phenomenal, believable. His acting was absolutely great. I mean, you felt him stand up for his wife. Like it was so his his loyalty to her and his pride in her and his gratitude for everything she had done for him. Yeah, we see that there's a whole scene where she's doing communion and then she falls, um, and then okay, can we pause here yeah. and talk about that fall real quick? So that fall, so I'm a totally huge fan of her acting performance. I think the the Golden Globe was well deserved. I do agree that she could have been nominated for an Academy Award and wasn't. If I had a point to any scene in the movie in which the acting was like, okay, uh, really? Madonna and Alan Parker? <laughs> was that scene right there? Come on. She, oh. that, that, and then the shot of her like laying there reminded reminds me of uh, like any one of her, you know, her photo shoots. Yeah. <laughs> she, it was a little overdramatic. I, it would, probably would have um, performed better on stage than in a movie because in a, in a movie when you overact it's it's more noticeable than like on a stage but um, yeah I I guess <laughs> the fall doesn't stand out that much to me <laughs> it's just the, the the positioning of her body when she had already fallen is what like made me laugh right yeah but then when she's on the in the hospital she kind of goes under real. and then uh, che, his character, basically goes unconscious, and they perform the waltz for Ava and Che. And uh, I'm just going to come out and say it: it's not my favorite performance 
vocal-wise or visual-wise. I get why they did it. I just don't like it. This is another <laughs> scene in the in the movie, Wayne, where you can see Baby Bump a lot. Yes, for real. And she even covers it up at one point. But I don't yes. know if that's her trying to enact that, oh, the cancer, or is it, oh, the baby? <laughs> I think it was probably a little bit yeah. of both. Now, I am a fan of the song. I did enjoy the vocal. I did enjoy how it was shot. I did enjoy the performance. I, I, I liked it. And my favorite part of it was the ending when she actually falls and looks up and you see her accepting and coming to terms right. with the fact that she's not okay and that she's going to die. Um, and the, the impotence that people who are, you know, that have to experience something like that go through. Right. And from an acting perspective, she crushed it. I mean, which the, the, the look on her face, the way that she um, was recorded, uh, you know, singing back that those few lines was just stunning to me. I think she did an amazing job. Yeah. Um, and then they go into your little body slowly breaking down. And this is another live performed song in the movie. Yes. And I thought it was very convincing. It was done very well. And um, I don't, I feel like when Madonna's, Madonna's performance is very convincing. So when people say like, oh, she can't act, I, I feel like I would point to this performance and we'll, we'll talk about it in just a second, but the lament performance too is like she's delivering these live vocals and she's crying because she has, she has admitted defeat to herself, even though, you know, she, she tries to convince her husband that, you know, I'm fine. Like, you know, it's just things come and go or whatever. You can tell that she's not able to convince him because she she's not believing it herself. She's already admitted that, like, oh, I've got cancer and I'm probably going to die. Um, but I feel like this is a really great performance and a really great live vocal, too, of her. A hundred percent agree with you. And when you look back at her career, her her film performances, she always, in my opinion, she's always done the best jobs when she's crying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she's really good at crying. Yeah, and you know it's not, like, fake or whatever because she doesn't cry that often. You know? No. It, it, usually it, it, it means something to her. And I think when she's saying, and we'll go ahead and talk about Lament now before we talk about You Must Love Me, but in Lament, I think that's her, her best performance in the whole movie. Um it's totally believable. Her tears and how she emotes, especially like with her voice cracking during part of the song. I felt like this was a great performance. And she told Oprah that she was channeling um, what it might have been like for her mother to tell her father that she has cancer and, you know, I'm probably not going to make it. So I thought that was very, um, it was very heartwarming and, and telling of of how good she is an actress that she can, you know, channel emotion and be able to deliver a performance such as that. It was an amazing performance. I think the, the folks responsible for making her look like someone who was about to die did a great job Yeah, from her lips to just the way that she looked, but yeah, her, and, and like you said, this was live. Uh, and I could see and feel when I was in the theater watching it for the first time, 
the uh, terror in her in in her eyes and in her voice, and just the frustration of knowing that you know this is my reality and there's nothing that I can do about it. She did an amazing yeah. job. That's probably what sealed the deal for her uh, from a um, accolades perspective. So any accolades that she got to include that Golden Globe from this performance, I think this right here is what convinced any voter who had anything to do with any of those wins to say, okay, yeah, she totally earned this. Yeah. And, and she brought the song back for the reinvention tour, which is one of my favorite performances from reinvention tour because her vocals are very strong in that performance. And I feel like she was able to embody the persona of Evita, even giving in that performance and on reinvention tour. I thought it was very well done. I completely agree. I want to go ahead and jump into You Must Love Me, which was the new song that was written for the movie. And I I love this performance. And I will point out that the single version is different than the album version because the single version has the, the piano and the strings that intro versus the album version, which is just like acapella until the music starts. I love the song. I remember it premiering as the first single on MTV. I remember uh, loving the fact that I knew she was pregnant and uh, hiding her pregnancy behind, behind the, the, piano. the piano. Yeah, and then just her, her again, the, the, the singing was absolutely beautiful. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful singing and yeah. a, a really inspired performance. And then cut to you know her performing it live on the Academy Awards and she did it again. Um, great song. Absolutely loved it. Loved her interpretation. And I think they said, Andrew Lloyd Webber and Tim Rice said that they created that song for the movie and specifically for Madonna. And she, and she, and she owned it. It was great. Great song. Love, love. You must love. Okay. So you like the Oscars performance? Um, so, (laughs) so I, I do remember watching it live and, and, Thinking, girl, put your put your arm down. <laughs> put your put your arm down. Uh, and then, uh, so when I think about that performance, and then I think about the way she has sunk in sense, like for instance during the sticking yes. sticking and yep. tour when she lowers the key and just absolutely slays it. I wish that she would have had the foresight to do that in that Oscar performance to lower the key and to sink it the way she did it on the sticking. Yeah. Well, I feel like it felt like she was trying too hard to sing it very in a very specific way where it, it hindered the performance for me. I feel like she was she was trying some like new vocal trick that her vocal coach just taught her and she didn't have it like down yet. <laughs> a lot of people feel like that that's like a great performance for her and in my opinion I I would disagree. I, I don't think it's her strongest vocal performance. I think the one on Sticky and Sweet is hundred times better, um, even though that's not even my favorite tour. But I feel like she did a really great job on the Sticky and Sweet tour, not so much on the Oscar performance. And speaking of Sticky and Sweet, she did um, Don't Cry For Me as well because she was in Argentina for the one that was filmed for the, for the DVD. Yeah, it wasn't bad, the Oscar performance, but I just feel like in her career, whenever she wants to do the higher register live is always when, you know, it's hit or miss for her. Yeah. Just like with, just like with Ray of Light. When she, Ray when of she Light on MTV? 
yeah, yeah, but when she figures it out and lowers the key, she always kills it. Yeah. She, with her vocal training, I think that did affect her voice, and I think she tried to carry out some sort of like musical theater type of singing as she moved on to albums that came after this. Um, I think she's she's found a way to bro- break away from that, which I like. Um, but I will say, as far as like Ray of Light goes, you can hear the influence in in her vocal style through at least through like drowned world tour for sure well to use her one of her favorite words the irony of avita and the vocal training that she um underwent to perform the soundtrack and the movie which i think she delivered right it gave her the desired results because again the singing that you hear in the movie and on that soundtrack is, is it's great it's phenomenal some of her best vocals but i do as a fan, recognize that it changed her voice forever. Yeah. It's never been the same. I miss the pre-Avita uh, vocal training Madonna voice that we probably will never hear again. And, it, and the irony is that during the Ray of Light era, the recorded vocal was spectacular, but I, I felt like she forgot how to sing. Because in every single live performance in 1998 and 99, it was kind of a cringe fest. Oh, especially during um, the Power of Goodbye on the MTV Europe Awards. Really bad. Wow. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love you, Madonna. (laughs) Hey, I love her too. I still recorded the performance. I still watch it. I mean, I still love Madonna. Um, This... You know, I I love this era for I love it for her. Like it wasn't a favorite era of mine, but I love it for her because I know she wanted this role so bad, and I know that she had been trying to have this role for like ten years, um, and she finally got something that she worked so hard to to get, and then she continued to work hard throughout the recording and the filming of this movie. So her words. You know, in an, in one of the icon issues, fans ask her a question, and they're like, "What would you say to Ava Perone if you could say something to her now?" And I feel like this is the same thing I would say to Madonna. It's you go, girl. So, I want to end on that. And she also was asked, like, "Hey, would you ever do this if you were ever offered the role to do this on Broadway? Would you do it?" And she said, "No way." So, I like that she's honest with herself that this is. <laughs> This was kind of like a one-time performance for her, and I think she killed it. She, she did it. So for me, to, to, to wrap up and to summarize the, the movie and the era for me as a fan, it was just really inspiring to live through and to watch because I always joke around and say that she raised me, but she did. I think she raised all of us. Uh, I'm talking about her fan base, particularly, you know, the little gay boys. Um, And this was a moment where you realized that you really can make dreams come true. Like, if if you really, really want something, even if it means you have to evolve and work really hard and, and transform yourself in the process, that you could make it happen. So to watch her go from you know, the sex book and erotic and body of evidence and then to her slow metamorphosis into what Evita ended up looking like was really inspiring. And then to see her continue to transform as she has throughout the years, I think it's one of the reasons why all of us 
who have been so loyal to her, love her so much because she's just such a survivor and such a, a, a fighter. Love her, love this era. It's all about survival. For sure. Well, thank you, Alejandro. I really appreciate you taking the time. Um, I hope you enjoy the rest of your night and live it up in Miami as much as you can. When I do come visit there again, I will let you know. Um, maybe we can meet up and, and hang out. You promise? Absolutely. Well, thank you. Good night and thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure, and this is great. I can't wait to hear it, and I hope you have me on again. Definitely. All right. All right. Take, Take care. care. Bye. All right. And there you have it. End of season one. 24 episodes and over 10,000 downloads later. I never thought I would make it this far, and it has been a journey. Quite an emotional journey. I, I feel like I haven't addressed you all directly in quite a while, but I want to thank each and every one of you for getting on this train at the beginning and staying on. I know I am not the most polished podcaster out there, and that there are other Madonna podcasts who I adore and give all the accolades for being the best inspiration for me. So thank you for sticking by me. I will be going on hiatus for a bit so I can plan for season two and can continue to offer my take with other fans on the remaining Madonna albums that I haven't discussed, along with tours and movies. On a final note, I know that cases of COVID are beginning to rise at high levels again, so I want to wish everyone a very safe and happy new year, however you decide to celebrate, and I look forward to 2022 when we can all get together again. I leave you now with just some banter that me and Alejandro had. Usually when I start recording an episode, we, we just chit-chat for a bit, and here's what came out of that. So, enjoy. So how's everything going? Like, how how's Miami? How's the move to Miami? It's my home. Florida's my home state, mm-hmm. so it's, it's a homecoming. I'm having a lot of fun. It's everything Good. that it's always been. It's great. I was going to say that I wanted to talk about you real quick. So I, when I discovered your, uh, your show, your podcast, I binge watched like everything that you had recorded up until, you know, the, the episode that I discovered you. And one of the things that I observed about, and I think I may have told you this already on IG is you are a good singer. So are you a singer? Well, thank you. Thank you for all for for saying that I'm a good singer. Um, I love to perform. I just haven't had a lot of opportunity in my life to actually do anything. I should say I probably never had the um, enough drive. And then there was uh, my whole situation with my ex who I was with for um, 21 years where uh, I didn't get to do a lot of what I liked to do. But I'm doing that now in my life. So uh, I go out to karaoke a lot. I've been in a couple shows, like musical theater. I just finished a show um, for A Christmas Story, where I was in the ensemble cast. But yeah, I I love to sing, and I love to perform. I just don't know what form that would take now that I'm in like in my 40s. I don't think I'm gonna, you know, try to be on any television shows or try to come out with 
an album? So it can take any form you want, especially in this zeitgeist where people are extremely creative with what they do, you know, on social media right. and every other platform we have available to us. Now, how much of your passion for performing do you think uh, being a fan of Madonna was the catalyst for? For being the catalyst for? 100%. Yeah, for 100% inspired by yeah. her. After, I mean, I was... I was always into like singing and I think even as a child, I had visions of being like an actor or being somehow in the entertainment world. Um, but I, I will 100% say after seeing, I remember seeing the blonde ambition tour and watching her perform and then hearing the audience. I was like, that's, that's what I want to do. Oh, and it's energizing, isn't it? So you've been of course, yeah. on a stage where you have received applause after doing whatever it is that you did. And I don't think there is a comparable feeling. It's better than sex. <laughs> well, speak for yourself, but <laughs> I, I I mean that. It's 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 very gratifying. Well, in the it instance is. in the sure. instances that I have been the recipient of, of applause from an audience. It's something that I've created, so I'm guessing that because I was the creator and then also the person who uh, you know, presented it, it, it probably hit me different. And what is your experience like with performing? So all kinds. Uh, the most gratifying experience was when I gave a. So I'm a I'm a lecturer, so I I, I train. But in this instance, it was nothing had nothing to do with what I do professionally, and it was something that I kind of did on the side for, um, from a metaphysical, spiritual, leader type perspective, and it was something that was very poignant and heartfelt. And it, the reception I got was kind of overwhelming, and it felt amazing. So that's why I'm describing it that way. That energy you feel, yeah, for um, sure. When did do you remember your very first encounter with holding a vision of Madonna? Cause I do like, do, do you still, can you close your eyes and remember that moment as a kid? Yes. And it, she probably did not hold the importance or the level of importance that she did until I, um, <laughs> this might sound kind of weird, but, or cheesy, but like until I was ready to accept her as that so my oldest sister was really into her during like her first album in like a virgin era so i was always there and madonna was always there too and then i would say probably like 86 87 my cousin who would come to visit us every summer she was really heavily into madonna during that time during the whole true blue and who's that girl era so i again you know i was made to watch who's that girl um, before that, you know, my sister always had MTV on, of course, Madonna was always on there. Um, and then I don't think it was until, um, I heard like a prayer on the radio. I, something about that song spoke to me. I didn't know who sang it. Uh, it wasn't until later that I found out that it was Madonna. Um, and then I think express yourself was, express yourself was really the catalyst. Like that was the jumping point for me. As soon as I saw that video and understood the reference and the, the remix version that was used 
I was, this is who I'm latching onto right now. I found like that video to be inspiring and an amazing piece of work that I had not seen in music video prior to that. Um, so for me, that was the moment where I started to hold that vision of Madonna and I never let go. Wow. And no better era than to have that moment than the like the prayer era. Right. So that's, that's pretty awesome. What about you? I was uh, nine years old. It was uh, Casey Kasem. Do you remember him? Yep, I do. Had a top 10 video countdown show. It lasted for like 20 minutes. He would like count down the top 10 billboard hits of the week. And he would show like uh, just a, f a minute of each of the songs. And then that was the show. I had at that point already fallen in love from a child's point of view with Cindy Lauper because my aunt was a huge Cindy Lauper fan and had the She's So Unusual. Um, she had the the record and the cassette mm -hmm. and she would watch the videos and I would watch them with her. So I was like all in that moment with Cindy Lauper. So I had never heard of Madonna, my nine-year-old. So it's like a Saturday morning and Casey Kasem shows on and he's counting down. This is 1985. Um, he's doing the top 10 and then he gets to number one because I think it was January. So Like a Virgin was number one. So when he gets to number one and he introduces her um, and the one minute and a half that he played of the video, I was just, I just was transfixed as a child looking at this woman on the screen that was just so beautiful to me. And even as a nine-year-old, I could recognize that there was something absolutely different in her, in what I was viewing, than what I was, you know, had completely fell in love with from from a Cindy Lauper perspective, because Cindy Lauper isn't, um, I don't know, she's just a different kind of artist. And then, so flash forward to 1986, and then I remember watching the Live to Tell video, and being amazed at, as a ten year old how, when I discovered it was the same artist, how she had transformed into essentially a completely different image. And I found that to be really fascinating. So for me, it was early on. And then the first record I ever owned was the True Blue album because I begged my mom to like buy it for me. And then I listened to the whole thing. And then from the, from the True Blue era on, like you, I've never gotten off the Madonna train. That's awesome. And I think what's great about that too is you know, it's, it's always interesting to hear when people got into Madonna and then thinking about, well, how old were they at the time when they did? And it's usually around, I always feel like it's usually around the same age. Like it's, it's usually between that, like nine and 12 year old age range, regardless if it's, um, whether it's like a prayer, true blue, or even like when I've talked to people, ray of light and, it always happens to be around the same age time frame. And I think because that's when we start kind of exploring things outside of our, um, you know, outside of like Saturday morning cartoons, for example, and, and playing with toys. Like, I feel like that's at a point where it's like, okay, I'm becoming more of an adult now, or I'm becoming more mature now because I'm now I'm getting into music that, um, 
that really connects with people that are older than me. And and I, I guess I, in a way, I felt like that because, of course, I started liking Madonna during a time where she was, like, in this transition period with, like, a prayer, right? Like, it was really popular, but then she was doing things that, that people just thought were over the top and ridiculous and over-sexualized, especially, like, with the Blonde Ambition Tour. So it was it was almost like you were ashamed to like Madonna um, or at least you, you couldn't really, it really wasn't a conversation you wanted to have with people because then you'd be ridiculed for it. And as a child, so, <laughs> you, you hate that feeling. Yeah. So, so like a prayer in, in my memory, it, I'm not sure it was popular for all, you know, for, for good reason. It was very polarizing. Oh yeah. It, it was notorious. And then I also remember at the time that, teenagers um at, at that point i think that's when they started to that's when she started breaking away from being a mainstream artist and, and by mainstream i define that as you know what the kids in junior high school and high school want to listen to and right. want to be so want to be associated with um because that was wasn't that the paula apple year yeah it was um and i just remember that uh that in that in 1989, because of the controversy, everything you're saying is true. People were like, okay, this lady's crazy. Yeah. Well, that's really cool to hear. I, I like hearing people's stories of when they start getting into Madonna. Thank you for, for starting our conversation this way.